This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. NFL Draft, one week away. And I am so excited to once again have joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Waldman. Matt, welcome back. I have lost count of how many times you've been on the Saturday Sunday football podcast. I always joke with Sigmund when he's on here that you and him, I think, volley in terms of the league leader in terms of appearances on this podcast. And every single year, we look forward to having you on pre-draft and post-draft to talk these prospects with you. So how are you doing this evening, my friend? I appreciate you having me on again. I'm a little bit, I guess I'd say a little bit like a hangover. I had my Moderna second Moderna shot um, yesterday afternoon and I'm on the tail end of it. So I'm feeling okay, but just a little, a little heavy headed and a little fatigued, but otherwise nothing better than to get a chance to talk a little, you know, NFL draft and prospects and get a chat with you about these players. Absolutely. So glad to hear uh, that you got that second vaccination and glad to have you with me this evening to talk some prospects. So let's get right into it and, and let's start at the running back position. I had Sigmund on last week and we went through a couple of players at each of the positions. Same thing we'll do tonight. And then obviously when we have you back post-draft, we'll tie some landing spots to these guys as well. So so let's start. I Obviously, I have heard some of your thoughts on the running back position through the grapevine a little bit, even though I've been out of out of it a little bit in terms of keeping up with everything due to the, uh, the birth of my second child. But let's start right at the top with Trey Sermon. Obviously, he's a guy that I know you're a big fan of. Explain what it is about Trey Sermon's game for the listeners here at Saturday to Sunday that have you so intrigued with him and make him one of the the top prospects in your mind at the running back position. Yeah. And I think it all just comes down to that. Um, One of the things that I look for with running backs that I I guess it sets me apart. I don't know if it necessarily does, but it certainly sets me apart from many. I think is that I'm looking for running backs who show efficiency um, in terms of efficiency of movement, um, understanding blocking schemes, really showing a higher level of skill sets that often when it shows up, it looks very mundane for a lot of people who are just used to seeing high end athletic ability. I think people who are just who understand the running back position and have watched the running back position a lot, sometimes they err on the side of high end athletic ability to the point of when they see jump cuts, they get really excited. They see speed, they get super excited. And I think there's another level above that where when you're looking for a player, you certainly want someone who has the dynamic athletic athletic ability to move and to be able to have short area quickness. But I think the trace, but you also want a back who can do it efficiently because we've seen back after back after back who's a high-end combine level player that people tout as a sleeper or a high-end prospect fail in the NFL or struggle because they don't really understand how to make those moves as quickly as possible and save as much space to be able to set up defenders with whatever blocking scheme they're running. When you look at Trey Sermon's game, he has the short area quickness you're looking for in terms of the um, burst as well as the change of direction quickness, but he also, and he can make dynamic movements, but he doesn't do it unless he has to. And the best back, some of the better backs, not only can they make the dynamic movements and the efficient movements, but they can also 
have that curvilinear movement that, you know, Matt Caraccio favorite, Sean Miska has talked about for years. And, and Trey Sermon has that ability to bend around um, pursuit the way Dalvin Cook does, the way that Khalil Herbert is another back in this draft who can do that. And when you look at Sermon, he's really a back that I think isn't getting as much credit from the the big name draft guys in major media because those guys tend to not only look at not only rate players high because of their talent, but they also rate them high based on whether they think those players are going to get drafted highly. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that part of their function is trying to mimic the NFL draft. They're trying to mimic where these guys are going to get drafted. And a player like Trey Sermon doesn't have that high-end draft capital because he played for two different teams. He split time with multiple running backs. He didn't lose a job. He just was splitting time with top backs in the same way that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle split time, you know, or the Miami Hurricane backs of yesteryear, like Clinton Portis and McGahee and Edron James and Najee Davenport, um, all split time, you know, because there were good backs in the backfield. And you got to see evidence of what he's able to do when he played with Ohio State late in the season when he got to be the man. And it was consistent with what I saw in film early in his career with Oklahoma. The only thing that's missing in his game is he doesn't have elite speed. And he had some injuries that weren't major. He had a he had a collarbone, a broken collarbone, um, and really nothing more that's that's probably the ser- most serious injury that he had. Um, and so you're looking at a player that uh, I think when you you know that a lot of teams are a lot of I know that from what I'm hearing. After I've talked about Trey Sermon, I've had people tell me, I've talked to scouts who say Trey Sermon could be one of the best two to three backs in this class in two to three years. Yeah, I mean, Sermon is a guy that I'm really intrigued by as well. And I I liked him when he was at Oklahoma. And I always thought people kind of grouped him and Kennedy Brooks together and thought they were similar players. And I thought, like, when I watched him, I thought there was a dramatic difference in talent level that they both kind of just got pigeonholed as, oh, these strong physical interior runners. And I thought people were viewing Sermon incorrectly. And then I got really excited when he went to Ohio State. And then when the year starts, he's kind of, like, not really – taking the reins and, and, you know, Master Teague is, is getting almost more work than him. And I, w- I was like, man, I really wanted him to get an opportunity to be the guy. And by the end of the year, the cream kind of rose to the top a little bit. And we kind of got to see it at the end of the year. And, and I think, you know, this is a, a unique draft class that, you know, you hear, if you want to believe the so-called, you know, people projecting the draft that maybe one or two guys in, in round one, my guess is maybe none. Maybe they fall to the top of the second. But I think Trey Sermon is going to be in that mix somewhere on day two. So he's going to, I think, have some decent draft capital attached to him and hopefully gets a real opportunity because I think we haven't even seen the best of him yet because he, you know, one thing that NFL teams are always concerned with is a running back coming into the league with a, mi- a lot of mileage. He doesn't have that on him, right? Because they split time at Ohio State. I mean, at uh, Oklahoma first. And then, you know, even this year, it wasn't like he was worked into the ground or anything. So there's a lot to like about his game. I thought you did a really good job there of explaining it, that I think people are still incorrectly looking at Trey Sermon and, and pigeonholing him as this two down physical interior runner and don't understand his game because they're just looking at his metric, like his size and his measurement. And they're, they're, they're watching one player or something. And they just think that's who he is. So I think it's really good the way you're talking about him in terms of letting people understand that there's a lot more nuance and a lot more to his game that, yeah. it, that should have people excited. Absolutely. He's a, he's an advanced player. 
you know, and if you, and if you don't listen to me, you know, a guy used to write for me over at fantasy astronauts who coaches a running game and Jay Moyer, you know, he'll tell you the same thing. I mean, when you watch this guy, you understand that he has a high level of nuance for understanding how to set things up. And it's that efficiency of footwork. I mean, over and over again, you could look at Kenyon Drake, top athlete, used to knock himself out running to the backside of defenders early in his career because he could, you know, he he didn't understand how to maximize space to avoid defenders. Anthony McFarland, I have a I, I I say this on a number of podcasts, but go to MattWaldmanRSP.com and look up what would Frank Gore do, and you'll see a co- comparison and contrast of the same play that McFarland and Gore run in the same week um, last year. And you'll see one gain 10 yards and one lose yardage. And the one who lost yardage wasn't Frank Gore. Um, you know, and then you could go look on Twitter and see for, you could look up Frank Gore and Marlon Mack on Twitter and put, and put my name on it. And you'll see also a comparison of a short yardage play where they both, um, you know, where Mack early in his career didn't know how to be efficient yet. And it sometimes it takes that it takes time to figure that out. You know, people think of great backs because they think of an Adrian Peterson who makes these great moves back in the day with all these jump cuts. And he's one of the few backs that lives and dies with jump cuts and can still get away with it as, you know, deep into the into his career as he's been. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's really interesting to, to I'm excited to kind of see where he ends up and his role moving forward. Let's talk about some of the other guys. Obviously, Najee Harris and Travis Ethian are the two names that you've heard mentioned as guys that could potentially be, you know, late round one or early round two players. Why don't you share some thoughts just on what you like about their game or some areas that maybe have you a little bit concerned that maybe their translation, uh, their transition into the NFL could have some hiccups or, or some bumps along the way? Yeah, I think Najee Harris will be pretty, will be fine. I think if anything, he might start off as a two down back or a, a specific sub package passing down back who also gets to run the ball where when they do throw it, when they do use him in the passing game, he's specifically a receiver. You know, obviously I think everyone who's seen him catch the ball loves his receiving skills. And it's not just the high end, you know, plays where he's running fade routes or back shoulder routes against linebackers and safeties, but it's also that he can work in the middle of the field. Um, you know, obviously to, to me, I don't see the Matt Forte comparison. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Daniel Jeremiah and the work that he does, but I just, you know, the Matt Forte, Matt Forte to me is a glider with top speed and great short area change of direction for his size. And I think that the, the more apt comparison that I would get with is more like a, a more athletic version of Chris Carson um, and someone who, who is Chris Carson is an underrated receiver. I think Najee Harris is a better receiver right now. The difference is that, you know, for Carson, the reason he may only be a situational receiver, you know, this year is that his pass protection needs a lot of work. He tips off. Um, he has some good reps, but he tips off a lot of reps because he drops his head and he's off balance. He leans forward and drops his head, and then he's just basically in a position where linebackers and defenders can basically push, pull him, and throw him to the ground or swim over him. And I've seen it enough times that it's not an accident. You know, this is this is a habit of his that needs to be fixed. And he might fix it during the during the summer, and that's all he needs to do. But this is a good back who I think that if anybody has him as the top back overall, I don't think that's a mistake. Um, you know, Etienne. I, I understand the appeal with him. I mean, because again, he's a game breaker with his speed. 
He does run tough between the tackles for his size. He's he's has what I call functional power. He's going to run through reaches to his frame or run through wraps to his frame um, to a certain extent. He'll bounce off some contact, um, and he he knows how to use his pads and win. Um, but there are things with his game where he leans too much on his athletic ability. And like the Reggie Bushes and the C.J. Spillers or the Lawrence Maroney's or Miles Sanders before him, guys, some of them who've been able to transition and some that never really did, um, Spiller's a guy that can sometimes try and bounce things out to outside too often or try and cut things back rather than follow the course of the play and really press the crease as much as he should. He got better at it this year, and I think good enough that it was that it was worthwhile for him to stay a year. I know a lot of people were like, he shouldn't stay. I don't know why he's staying, and I'm thinking I I know why he's staying because this was a this was a bad habit of his, and he was he was much more of a you know, a Tevin Coleman like player or a, or a Bishop Sankey like player in that regard um, before this year. And this year he really made strides. So I think he can be a real threat, but at the same time, he might be the back because most backs who are that athletic tend to try too hard their first year. It's just a maturity thing. You know, it's the new job. This is your career now. You've been drafted probably number one or, you know, in the first round or second, early second round. You're a top 50 to top 80 pick. And you're thinking, I have to come in and make a big pack impact. And they expect me to make big plays. And they just, they try too hard. And then they, they have to, they have to re- be reminded that, Getting the three to four, the tough two to three yards is sometimes better than losing five because you were trying to get fifty, you know, and and that keeping your team on schedule is more important. So I think he has, he's the most one, he's the one most likely in danger of having that backslide of immaturity. Um, but I don't think I think he's shown enough that you know you just have to be a little more patient with him, and I think he'll work out. Yeah, I don't I don't recall where you were a couple of years ago on Darrell Henderson, but do you do you look at a guy like Etienne and and everyone got excited about Henderson, right? Because of the athleticism, the bursts, the acceleration. Do you do you see some similarities that that's why maybe people are overshooting Travis Etienne the same way that maybe some people were overselling Darrell Henderson? I can see that. Absolutely. You know, I think that that's a, I haven't thought about those guys as a comp, but it certainly makes sense from that standpoint. And it's for that same thing. It's that speed sells, man. And people, you know, once you have a certain level baseline of skills, when you have top speed, that seems to put people over the top and they feel like that's what makes the guy great or the great movement. And again, this is why it's just like with quarterbacks, you know, we look at quarterbacks and we talk about, you know, these athletic guys, you know, Bloom and I had a conversation last week on the audible, you know, he's like, I don't get Mac. I get Mac Jones, but I'd be disappointed if Mac Jones goes number three. And I'm kind of like, well, I get that to a degree because I think most people it's easier to see and project traits of players who have the physical upside, like Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence um, and, and even Zach Wilson, because they can run. And because they can throw on the move, and then you think, well, they still have room to travel conceptually. Whereas with Mac Jones, he may not. It may be harder to tell where his room to travel conceptually will be because, you know, he already reads the field so well, and he already plays in the pocket well. People think he's already maxed out, but he might not be. 
And and I think with a Trey Sermon versus a Travis Etienne, it's the same kind of thing. You you can see with Etienne and go, well, you can't teach speed and you can't teach agile cuts. And well, you can teach agile cuts a little bit. You can't, you, you know, speed, you can, you're not only going to improve in a very incremental part. But at the same time, it is harder to learn some of these skills in terms of reading blocks and setting up blocks and pressing deep and being mature with your movements. That's a tough, that can take backs two to three years to really learn if they ever learn it. Like Tevin Coleman, it took him a good two to three years to learn. Marlon Mack took him a couple years. Kenyon Drake took him at least two years to learn. Um, and even then, these guys backslide a little bit. And we're not looking at them as top 12 backs. Any of these guys I mentioned is, is top 12 backs. Maybe last year we're looking. Or two years ago, we were looking at Marlon Mack that way. Kenyon Drake surprised, you know, when he got traded. Um, but you know, these are these are committee backs, really, when we look at them now. Yeah, and you would think, you know, historically, like the best running backs in the NFL, very rarely are any of them the elite, elite speed guides, right? Like you have there's always an exception, but I mean Emmett Smith's one of the best running backs in the history of the NFL. And I don't even know, but I'm sure it's 40 time or his speed or whatever wasn't very good. And the, Four, the six. list is, yeah, the li- the list is long. I mean, yeah, okay, Bo Jackson was a physical freak. We get it. And there, there's guys like that too that but but there's so much more to the position at the running back position. There's so much nuance, there's so much about vision and patience and understanding, you know, how to read the defenses and your blocks and and so much goes into it more than just that that it's exciting when that guy has that breakaway speed, but it's really a rare occurrence that it is utilized on the football field for throughout most of a 60 minute game. And it's something that at that running back position, I feel like it probably has the least meaning of almost any position when you're talking about over overselling somebody just because of their, their long speed or their, their acceleration or burst. It's, it's nice to have it, but it, it's far. I mean, look, we saw James Robinson this year have a fantastic rookie season and yeah. no, you know, nobody started at coming and he, you know, kind of, we were joking before about, Everyone's pigeonhole and Trey Sermon, but you know, but that's the same thing, right? Everyone's first thought on James Robinson was early down, two down, you know, thumper, like you know, and and obviously he succeeded all expectations. So it's always a, it's always fascinating to kind of see the different running back perspectives and where everybody is on that. Why don't you share your thoughts a little bit on the Carolina running backs? Obviously, they formed quite the duo there for UNC. Very different players in terms of their size and stature. Do you have a preference between the two, or do you think both of them could be really good functional NFL players, maybe part of committees, or is there anyone that maybe could even seize a bigger opportunity than maybe they even had in college when they shared the workload? Yeah, I think they're the two safest backs in the draft. I mean, I mean, when you really look at it, especially Javonta Williams, to me, he reminds me of Mark Ingram. He's he's the size, the, the whole size, speed combination is very much there. He really understands how to use his pads. And when we talk about backs who are efficient, he's certainly in that category too. And it's and what I what I mean by that too is that you want to see guys who if you you know my tip to people who are listening to this show and most people who I would bet who are listening to this show are really into football. So I you know and not just dynasty, but you know have really want to understand a little bit more about it. And I would say that you know, you can get some football books or go online and just start diagramming like some gap plays like trap, counter, and toss, uh, and then 
and power and then diagram things like outside zone and inside zone. Um, and you know, just practice doing that. Like if you want to do that for like a month, just do one play a day, like several times and just kind of examine what that looks like and start thinking about when you look at gap or, or zone plays, you need to, you know, think about the footwork that's required to do that gap plays. You got to hit it faster zone plays. You're trying to give the defender an impression that you might be going somewhere other than you actually are. Um, and so these are the, the footwork involved with that can be different. The, the speed in which you approach it can be different, but the, the most important thing about a running back play is the ability to decelerate and change direction efficiently. It's like, you, you know, not in a way where they run into their blockers and not in a way where they have to slow down too much that they can kind of glide through and just like make sure they're maintaining their space so that the linebacker or the safety or even the defender on a block on a lineman is seeing the approaching back and has to honor where the, the direction the back is leading him before the back cuts back. And, and in order to do that, it is about, you know, stride control and pacing and it can't be too, too obvious sometimes, or it has to be very quick and last minute for it to, to work well. And so when you look at a back like Javonta Williams and Michael Carter, both are very good at that. Carter's very good at being able to also avoid um, contact to his feet in the hole where he can kind of lift his legs up and feel maybe some backside pursuit at clipping at his feet and be able to lift his heels up high enough to avoid it. He just has that great spatial awareness um, when it comes to that. And Williams is a guy who has the micro movements to be able to bend his shoulders and really like drop his pads in a way where he's delivering first contact. Because again, you don't have to be big to be functionally powerful in the league. I mean, you have to have a certain minimum amount of size. Obviously you can't be Tariq Cohen um, and, and teams trust you to run it 20, 20 times in you know, in a game, but at the same time, if you weigh, you know, two ten, you know, and you can, you know, you know how to use your pads, even a Jamal Charles, who was weighed less than that. If you're attacking first, you're forcing the defender on the defensive and you're going to be able to dictate the next move. And when they're still trying to react to the fact that they just got hit and, you know, you're able to move away before they can actually then extend their arms to wrap you. Um, and that's something that you see a lot of backs who are either smaller or very good with micro movements like Ezekiel Elliott or Dalvin Cook or Javante Williams do, which is that they can, they can put the defender, you know, on his heels first and then dictate those terms in close quarters and he's very good at that. He turns plays into where it looks like it's going to be an even collision into one that's to his advantage and ends up dropping the defender to the ground and maintaining his balance to then continue to attack the next defender. So I'm a fan of what he does on third downs. I think he has promises a blocker. You know, I think he can carry the load for a team if you need him to be. He's not special as an athlete at the running back position, but he's good enough. I mean, Mark Ingram was good enough by far. You know, it's just that he got by the time he went to the Ravens, he was old. You know, he has already been, you know, pretty old for a running back. And he had some good years before that, you know, paired with Kamara and still was a, you know, better back than a lot of guys who got drafted early, you know, dra drafted early for years once he got over the injury bug. And Michael Carter is a guy that I think is the most fascinating back in this class in the sense that could he be, he could be the next James White if he goes to Tampa Bay. 
and plays with Brady for a little bit. He might give you a little bit of that James White vibe or a Giovanni Bernard vibe because he reminds me of his fellow alum, Bernard, who's also in Tampa. So you could see a little bit of that where you could he could be not just a third-down specialist like White, but he could be a guy who gets time both on two-down situations as well as passing-down situations and gives you that versatility. And then I think of him in a system where maybe – you know, maybe he he's not going to have the talent like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and and you know Tyree Kill and Nicole Hardman and all those guys. But if you get him in a scheme where they want to use him like Clyde Edwards-Helaire, I honestly think he's a he's a better talent than Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Um, I think I like Clyde Edwards-Helaire as a player, but I think that Carter's a little bit more functionally powerful um, in the box than where Edwards or Lair ever was. And and while maybe a Lair's a little better receiver, maybe, I, I love what Carter does in the middle of the field. He really understands how to work with his quarterback, um, especially in zone, and be able to find openings and do it very quickly after the first one doesn't break open. He has very fast recognition that he needs to keep working. And you don't know, you know, and it's, some people will look at that and they'll just look at it as a one-off thing. And it's like blocking. They'll look at blocking and say, well, if the effort's there, he's a good block. That's good enough for me. And, you know, they, sometimes they say, well, if he finds the open hole and eventually finds another open hole in the zone, that's good enough for me. I think you can, you can kind of add on to that and say, how quick can he process that information and get open fast enough so that the quarterback doesn't have time to look away from him and go, okay, he wasn't open, but oh, he's working, you know, and then, just pump and throw it again. You know, he's he's that type of player. So he's the most interesting back because there's a wide range of outcomes for what he could be in terms of role. Yeah, he he really intrigues me. And I know I, I've had some conversations on Twitter that people people I think are overselling Michael Carter's straight athleticism and, and people might think that he's got this like big time speed and I don't see it like that. I, I've I've kind of said that he reminds me of Park Clyde Everett who you were just talking about. And I think where people are seeing and, and thinking he might even be a better athlete is I'm almost seeing a little bit part Devin Singletary, where Devin Singletary's vision made him look faster and his play speed was so much faster than what he ended up obviously timing at the combine. And everyone was like, wait a minute, that wasn't the Devin Singletary we saw in college, but his play speed, his vision, his understanding and his cutting ability made him look so athletic. And that's kind of, what I, I kind of see like a blend of Clyde edwards and Devin Singletary. Did you see vision as something that you thought Michael Carter had a good, cause I, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you like Singletary a couple of years ago? I, th- I thought you did. I, I thought he was the grand experiment. I didn't have okay. him rated highly. Okay. What I had was if he works, it's going to be totally because of his vision, just as you <laughs> described. That was it because he's short, slow. Um, he's short, slow, not very quick, but has great feet and great vision. And it's, we're exactly. going to see how far it can carry him. Um, <laughs> so Carter, but I like where you're heading with that. I mean, I think, you know, I think, I don't think Carter's an amazing speedster, but, and certainly maybe North Carolina's, um, Pro Day might be generous, but I think he has enough speed. I think he's faster. I like that you put him between him and and Clyde Edwards-Alaire in terms of some of that stuff, but I think he's faster than both, Um, and he's certainly quicker. Like his quick, his short area quickness, I think, is the big deal there. But, you know, I know that my buddy Jay talked about him being maybe an Alvin Kamara type of back possibly, and and that's rarefied air for me. I'm I'm a little reluctant to go there. 
Um, but it's, but certainly, you know, when you think about how all these backs are used, there's a common thread. And so I'm, you know, I'm a fan of Carter, um, but I can see where his, his vision and footwork, and they're really tied. Your eyes and feet are tied together. If, and if the more you learn about running back play, the more you can see that why I talked about diagramming plays, because the more you understand the play, the more you understand what the back is looking at. And then you can see how his feet react. And when his feet react instantaneously to what's going on and, and they're doing it like, you know, really within the flow of how the play unfolds, you know, there's a link there that's very strong, like to the speed of instinct. And I think with um, Michael Carter, he has that. Yeah, for sure. I'm right there with you. So two other running backs. I mean, we could talk running backs the whole night, but I'm, I'm going to cut it off to two more guys. We could go to Khalil Herbert, but I feel like he's getting a decent amount of attention. We could talk about, because I've been right there with you for the well part of the last year plus. Uh, people were, I thought, overselling Chuba Hubbard. And I know you had, I'm pretty sure you had some, you know, concerns about his like contact balance and play strength. And I think the NFL was seeing that much more like you were. And I had my concerns too, because when people were saying he should have came out last year, he was a, a second a, a round two pick. I think we're starting to see that the NFL was viewing it very different than maybe what like the community on Twitter was. Uh, but where I want to go to round out the running backs is I want to hear your takes on two guys. Small school Jared Patterson out of Buffalo, and then Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma, analyzing them, what you saw with these guys, and also how hard is it for a guy like you who studies so much film and digs in so deep, a guy like Ramondre Stevenson who just doesn't have a lot of it, does that make the process of, of understanding him as a player more challenging in terms of your process? I'll answer that one first. It can okay. make it more challenging if – there's not a lot of exposures to things that you need to see like pass protection, pass catching, running inside and outside or, but I think in this case it wasn't hard um, okay. because he got, he got plenty of, he got plenty of work. So he was pretty easy to look at. Um, I'll, but with that in mind, we'll start with Patterson. I really wanted to love Jared Patterson. I wound up only liking him. Um, okay. And and it's which is still might be higher than most people though. It might be, um, but I don't think so. Like I, I look at Patterson, and I think there are. I was hoping he would somehow be two ten, two fifteen, and he could be like a slightly slower D'Angelo Williams. And and if that were the case, I would have been excited about him. But he's much smaller than that, and so what I see now is kind of maybe a LaMichael James type of player. And I like LaMichael James coming out of school. He's, you know, both players, they're tough. They'll run between the tackles. They were smart. I think Patterson, you know, Patterson's a smart runner. Um, he can certainly catch. Um, I was, his, his speed was a little better than I expected because watching the film, he did not show the long speed to me. Like it was, it was more a function of, the type of play where he got loose out of the box, you know, where he had angles on people because of the way the defense played, played the field on, on those particular plays. Um, so he might be a little faster than I think, but to me, I have him right on the border of being a, a contributor and a, and a reserve, like a guy who, you know, he can be, 
he will be on the field. I think he'll have a role on the field, but I just don't see him ever being a starter. Um, at best, maybe he gets to start for a year because people get hurt and he has puts a good year together. Who's the kid out of um who's the kid? Oh, Justin Forsett out of California. Like Justin Forsett. Like Forsett had a thousand yard season playing with the Ravens behind a good offensive line. And they needed him, you know, and he was good for that one year. And for the rest of his career, he was a he was a journeyman who kind of bounced around, had a good career at Cal, but wasn't anything special. And I fear that's kind of where Patterson is like good, not great, good enough to be in the league, good enough to contribute. I really like Ramondre Stevenson. I'm I'm a fan. I think this guy has and he he's also one of the most intriguing backs in this class because He's not super fast, but he has great feet like and great hips. Like He really understands one of the things to make efficient movement is the ability to flip the hips and change direction that way. So when you can open the hips or flip them fast, you don't need to have wide-ranging cuts and powerful cuts. In fact, it's better if you... It's better to have the hips than it is to have the, the, the jump cuts if you had to pick one or the other. Um and he's someone that r- understands how to run with his size. You know, he came to the league. He came to Oklahoma as a 250-pound back, and he and he left at 230. So he lost weight while he was in school. And he did that by design because I think he wanted to get faster. And he certainly looks quick enough, you know, for me, for my taste, when you watch him, I'm kind of generous with quickness and speed. Um, but he's able to get outside SEC level defensive backs on on a lot of runs. He's able to make people miss on an island, um, and then at the same time, he can drop the pads and run over a defensive tackle in a short yard situation when he's coming downhill. He'll attack that way. He's not trying to be the next Brandon Jacobs early in Jacobs' career, or you know any any of these big players who think they're scat backs, Ron Dane, folks like that. This is a guy who can do that. But he knows when not to. And on top of that, wow, does he have soft hands. This guy really tracks the football well. And he might be the best pass protector of the backs in this class on top of that. And what intrigues me most is he lost all this weight, but it was he really able to reshape his body the way he wanted to, considering that he was doing all this during COVID, you know, with the different precautions. I don't know what the precautions were for Oklahoma. Maybe it was just life as normal, but I have some... I would have some reason to believe that it wasn't quite a normal season for anybody. And so as a result of that, I wonder if another year of reshaping his body, he gets quicker and faster. And if he gets quicker and faster with all the skills that he has, he could wind up being in the same conversation as the backs we talked about at the top of the list. Yeah, he he's a guy that I think is just flying under the radar and you don't really like think with all the coverage that's out there right now and you don't really think of guys like are sleeping and people are under the radar but i still kind of feel like he's not getting a lot of attention and he should maybe warrant a little bit more consideration and i think he's just one of those guys that is not a guy that we've been talking about like for years and i think that's where some of what the twitter uh you know, sphered in terms of people talking about it, you see guys that have been in the limelight for years get a lot more attention right along the way. And then a guy like Stevenson, you know, they, like we said before, there was, you know, Kennedy Brooks and, and, you know, and there was Trey Sermon and he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And then people are 
just kind of like don't realize maybe the talent and the skill level that he possesses and never really has, has watched it. So I think, I think it's a fascinating take. I, I think he's probably going to go higher than people think compared to some of the other names. Like we were talking about, like I mentioned, Trevor Harbour before and some other guys, Stevens is probably going to go higher than other guys that people much more the casual fan know, and they're going to be caught off guard by it. But I think, uh, the NFL is going to view it much more like you were just talking about in terms of his skill set and and maybe what he can bring to an NFL team. So he's going to be one interesting to kind of see where he ends up and and what kind of role he might have early in his career. So let's take this over to some pass catchers. Before we talk wide receivers, though, let's talk about. I mentioned this word the other day with Sig, and he said you guys, I think, used it as well. The unicorn at the tight end position in in, in Kyle Pitts. How special of a prospect do you think he is? Do you think all the attention he is getting, the possible, you know, first non-quarterback being selected, do you think it's all due justice and well-deserved? I think it is, and I think it has to do with the fact that if you were able to get um, a better version of Jimmy Graham at the height of Jimmy Graham's career in the first round, who can actually block, um, wouldn't you do it? You know, if you could get, you know, people compare him to Travis Kelsey. Um, you look at TJ Hawkinson, who went eighth overall to the Lions and had a Pro Bowl season last year. I, I think he's worth it. I think he's a weapon and he's a player that if you need him to block, he can. He's not going to be one-on-one with defensive ends in the NFL. Not right now. But he has, a, he has he's 10, 15 pounds away from being a guy who you might say could improve to the point that that you would use him in bet in tougher situations than many people would expect if they want if he goes to a team like that. But I don't think there's a team that's really trying to draft him as a blocker other than as a backside guy or a wing or occasionally, you know, in, in those situations that with a lot of a lot of um tight ends. You're gonna see him slot you're going to see him at flanker. You're going to see him at split end. You're going to put him on the wing and you're going to just match him up with whoever you can get the matchup advantage with, whether it's size against a, a cornerback or whether it's speed against a safety or a linebacker. He just toys with linebackers in terms of his speed. He's got that great catch radius. I mean, he's a decent route runner who's only going to get better. Um, so yeah, I, I think that he's the case where he has the baseline technical skills of a wide receiver and a and a tight end that, that could play in the league right now. And he has the athletic ability to be a mismatch. And you got to value him for all of that. And in this case, I think it's simple enough to say he is. He's, he's absolutely worth a, a top five to seven pick probably for a team that's looking for a weapon. Um, if Atlanta doesn't pick a quarterback, which I'd like them to, um, if they don't, I'd like to see them pick a guy like Pitts because Julio Jones is getting older and they're going to need another player to supplement what Calvin Ridley does to help Calvin Ridley out, you know, as good as Ridley is, but they're going to need another guy. So he'd be a nice pick at four. Um, but this is a, this is one of those situations where, um, you know, you don't have to make it all that complicated. We know, we know what he is and he, he is good. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing about, you know, tight ends historically have a hard time transitioning, but you just laid it out there. This isn't, and I remember 
us talking about him a couple of years ago. This isn't Noah Fant, right? Noah Fant had that athleticism, but there was a lot of refinement. And I remember having conversations with you on air, you know, that we were intrigued by the athleticism, but there was a lot of refinement to his route running, to his overall understanding, you know, of, of the, of pass catching and stuff like that. And, and, Pitts is well more advanced in every regard, and he has the athleticism and maybe superior to a guy like Noah Fant. So I do anticipate him transitioning at a much quicker rate than we usually see tight ends. Uh, not saying he's going to have a thousand or twelve hundred yards next year, but he's he's a guy who I think we'll see transition a lot quicker than we usually see at that position because of everything you kind of just laid out there. He's, yeah, he's better than OJ Howard was coming out. I think he's a more, I think he's as dynamic, if not, he's more dynamic than TJ Hawkinson. He's just not as good as a blocker. Hawkinson might be a better overall player, but, but yeah, I mean, this would have been one of my top three to four receivers in this class if you designate him as a receiver. So for sure. Is there anyone else at the tight end position that gets you excited that you think, whether it's Pat Fryermuth, Brevin Jordan, Tommy Tremble's getting a lot of buzz lately. Is it any of those guys or another guy that I didn't mention right there that that you're obviously not at the level of Kyle Pitts, but you're excited, you think deserves pretty decent, you know, if you were an NFL team, you'd be you'd be looking to maybe draft him somewhere on day two and be excited and you see starter upside uh, and an impact player, not just like an average starter. Yeah, if I was if I was a NFL team, I'd very much want Pat Fryermuth. I think he's. I think he belongs in the conversation of Hawkinson. I was just going to ask Howard when it comes to blocking. Like he's in that conversation with those guys. He's he's as good. And then I would say, as a receiver, while he's not as athletically freakish as either of those two guys, he can get up the seam uh, with play action. He plays. He wins in tight coverage. And he's someone that can make the tough catch. And he's very fluid as a ball carrier. So he has some power, functional power and movement to him that he'll get yards after the catch. He's kind of like Austin Hooper in that regard, where Austin Hooper is a good blocker. But Austin Hooper always seems to make the first guy miss. Um, I would say that, you know, as I've heard people joke, Pat Firemuth is Rob Slokowski. You know, he's Rob Slokowski, but he can block like Rob Slokowski. He can block. He can block pretty well. Maybe not as good yet, but he. I wouldn't be surprised if he got there and he moves in the open field like, like Gronkowski. Um, you know, he's just not as fast. But yeah, I like him, and I, I would say that's about it from the guys like day two. The rest to me are day three guys who could be interesting bargains for you depending on your team need. Certainly, Jordan has some Irv Smith-like qualities to his game that I think he's a very good blocker like Smith, but undersized is, you know, how does he fit? How are you going to use him? Is it going to work out as an every down thing? Um, you know, I'm interested to see that. I think if you like Irv Smith, you'll like um, Brevin Jordan. Um, and Tremble is a high rising guy who, you know, I see, I get it. But to me, if you want a wing back right now who might be underrated, I'd go with Noah Gray out of Duke. And and say he's faster, um, he's more experienced. He he may not hit as hard and play with the same intensity as Tremble, but he can block all right, and he knows how to run routes and he catches the ball very well. I think he's an underrated guy in your like day three group who might end up having a role at some point. 
Yeah, those, those are Noah Gray seems like a guy who is is a guy that is getting a little bit more attention lately. Obviously, not in that maybe tier one or tier two, but maybe someone in that in that tier three group at the tight end position. I'm right there with Fryermuth. He was a guy that for a long time seemed like he was penciled in as another round one tight end, and I'm not really sure what really changed. Like you know, to me. If a team wanted to invest a first round pick in him, I, I think it's I think it would be more than an apt and worthy of that selection based on what you said. Because you know, if if, if TJ Hawkinson is going in the top ten, I don't think Friar Muth is that far off of him in terms of a prospect. So, you know, it's a different it's a weird year with all the quarterbacks being, you know, pushed in and and as usual, a lot of wide receivers. Uh, and a decent amount of other, you know, offensive tackles. You got some in the mix. So, but I, but I do think Fryermuth is a guy who is. It sounds like he's going to go round two, but I, I don't think. I think he's a guy that if, if my team needed a tight end and they drafted him in the in somewhere in the twenties, I, I don't think it would be a bad pick or or reach in terms of what he's capable of being on the football field. Jacksonville will be ecstatic when they get him in early round two or late round one. Yeah, and, and it would be it would be he'd be a, he'd be an ideal uh, guy there to add to their mix. They have some good wide receivers already. Uh, obviously, assuming Trevor Lawrence is the first pick overall, you know, add a tight end like that as a security blanket and a guy who can bring his level of blocking uh, would be a big upgrade at their tight end position for sure. So let's take this to the wide receivers. Obviously, the read that we hear being talked about as potentially going in the top 10 or top 12 picks if it's to believe it's the two Alabama guys, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, and then Jamar Chase. Maybe just take us through those three a little bit. Do you have a preference between the Alabama guys? Do you have them, any of them above Jamar Chase? Is the gap really close with these? Is there a little differentiation and a separation uh, for you in terms of these guys? I have Chase number one overall, and he's my top player overall in this class um, in terms of score. Um, and then I would say Jalen Waddle is in a tier by himself number two um, above everybody else. Um, so, And then after that, I have Devonta Smith fourth on my board. Um, but I like I like all three. Um, certainly all three are going to be valuable for you. It's just that Chase can do everything you're looking for. He plays bigger than his size. Um, he's like a faster DeAndre Hopkins in a lot of respects. Um, that's pretty darn exciting. So I'm I'm a big fan of what he can do. And I think that versatility, you know, if you're a team valuing a player who you can start in the, you can put in the slot and use them there or start them at flanker. And then as you build your team and you add players, it gives you more flexibility to add players as a, as a GM. You know, if I'm drafting early, I have a lot of holes to fill. So not only do I want to get a great player who can run after the catch and make the contested plays and run the routes I'm looking for and win against press, but I also want a guy who, well, now that we our offense seems to be heading the right direction, we're like one or two players away from being a really good offense and there's another player in this draft who can play slot or flanker. What well, you know, I I'm going to get him. I'm not going to feel pigeonholed because we already got a guy in one of those positions. We can move Chase around in the same way that the Cowboys did that when they have Amari Cooper. But now that you get C.D. Lamb, you know, I mean, C.D. Lamb can give you that both. And the fact that they they were 
not saying, well, we're set with Michael Gallup and, and Amari Cooper. You know, they, they went one step forward, and I think that's good for them long term. As soon as they get that line a little bit more intact, um, I think that that's good for them as, in terms of that. So that's why I value Chase a little more. But Waddle, listen, I think he could be the ultimate weapon in this class. Uh, his speed is unbelievable, and it's not just the speed, but how fast he runs routes with precision. He has great precision at the sideline with his footwork, his ability to turn, you know, run, make breaks. He's like Henry Ruggs with better route running. You know, that's the thing with Henry Ruggs is that I remember commenting in the RSP last year that in and out of his breaks, he just didn't have the speed in and out of his breaks. He didn't have the bend. And Mike Mayock pretty much said um, this winter, Henry Ruggs needs to work on getting in and out of his breaks faster. You know, you saw the you saw the potential in terms of winning the ball. I'd say Jalen Waddle's better than Henry Ruggs at winning the ball. Um, and then on top of it, he's he's one of the most impressive open field runners I've seen in a while. Um, so, you know, he just plays at a different level. And I think that this guy, you know, he could he's most likely to he could be the most likely to be used as a gadget. But he's more than a gadget, just the way Tyree kills more than a gadget. He's not a Tavon Austin clone or a limited Marquise Goodwin or um, a, you know, a limited Mike Wallace type of player who only has like one kind of skill set. You can use this guy short, deep, intermediate, middle of the field, inside, outside, kick returns. Um, You can throw him the ball in contested situations. He's clutch. I mean, for a while, for a while, I wondered if he wasn't going to be my number one player overall. Um, but if if someone said to me, you had a choice between the two, it would just depend on my offense, what I'm really looking for, how far, if, you know, if we're, I'm looking to put a team over the top and the team's already well built, Jalen Waddle's going to be my guy. If I'm trying to build a team from the ground up and we're just looking at what's going on on the field, I might go with the the added versatility um, of what Jamar Chase brings to the table. Yeah. I mean, let me jump in right there because Waddle's the guy that has me really excited. I, I've been saying here at Saturday, Sunday, that this is the first time that when people mention Tyree kill, I don't think it's far fetched. Now who knows if he's going to end up having that level of success at the NFL level, but I can see that that could be the ceiling. Like to me, that's the kind of game that you said, it's not just about the speed you made the apt comparison in terms of how he's different than a guy like Henry Ruggs. And every year I think people pigeonhole somebody like, Oh, he could be like Tyree kill. And every year I'm like, "Mm, I don't really think so. Like there's things about Tyree kill that are very unique. It's not just his speed. It's how fast he runs his routes. It's how dangerous he is in the open field. Jalen Waddle is the first player since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday that I can say reminds me of Tyree kill on the college field and whether that translates to be determined, but he gets me really excited. I know I'm, I know I'm going to join you guys for a part of the draft sure. night over at football guys. And I'm if it ends up being when the giants are picking, he's the guy that I want. And it, it, there's going to be a level of excitement in my voice more than there usually is. I kind of feel like the football gods owe me one, right? You, I was live on air when they took Daniel Jones. Maybe this year they pay me back and, and they give me Jalen Waddle for my Giants fandom because I think he would be that guy. I agree with you that Chase is, is the best all around. But I think for what the Giants have in place now, I think Jalen Waddle would be the guy that could open it all up. I agree. 
So what about, what about Devonta Smith? You mentioned you had him at, at four. Let me ask you this, because obviously you hear talked about so much, and, and I know you're not somebody that pigeonholes one thing and uses it to base any of your criteria on. Are you in any way concerned about the frame and think that that would be the thing that if he doesn't succeed at the next level, it would be that, or it would be maybe that leading into then another concern that he won't be able to do this because of the frame. Um, it's the frame is a concern, but it's only because of how the frame impedes the function of tasks, you know, where it is releasing from the line of scrimmage, you know, certainly, he can deal with physical play, but he often gets pinned to the sideline by for physical and patient cornerbacks. And when cornerbacks play patient with him, they can get the better of him to a degree. But here's the thing. He wins contested balls all over the place. The, the, the issue for me is more about that intermediate to vertical game that's so important. Everyone thinks about the deep game and, oh, he's going to get pinned the boundary and not win deep. No, he's going to win plenty of deep balls. He's going to win plenty of short balls. But it's that 15 to 40 yard range that really puts defense defenses in a bind. And that's where you have to tell the biggest story as a route runner. And if you're consistently trying to release outside against defenders who are patient and physical and they can pin you, he's got to fix that. He's got to learn inside releases to work inside and then, and then address it and to get back to the outside. So if he can do that, I think that'll be helpful. And I think he can. It's just a matter of addressing you know working on that and making that a priority um watching him in the red zone i mean shoot the kid kid wins very well in the red zone on contested throws mac jones i was watching a, i did a film room with on mac jones with mark schofield this week and there were multiple throws i found on like third and long fourth and long where he the placement is fantastic like they're he, they love to run the sale route which is kind of like a corner route working to the to the 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 back post or the back pylon, excuse me, the back pylon. And Jones will strategically throw that ball high and behind so that he forces the defender to overrun towards that pylon. And you know Smith goes up and wins those balls. You know the biggest issue is can he stay healthy? You know can he stay healthy and win against physical play in those regions of the field where it's you know, it's not about contested throws. It's about, or contested targets. It's about timing routes. And if he can get disrupted on timing routes, then he becomes, instead of being an every down player, he becomes a situational player. And that's where he could become a disappointment. I don't think that happens, but I think it's going to take him a little longer than this year to necessarily, you know, become the receiver that he's capable of being. And But if he... You know, if he goes to a team that plays a lot of levels to concepts with crossing routes and dig routes in the middle of the field, it may not matter, you know, because, you know, you look at what Josh Allen gets there and he gets multiple targets that he gets to throw to every receiver in terms of multiple windows because the receiver is working across the middle as opposed to running one timing route on the outside. So if he goes to an offense like that, it might not even be an issue. Yeah, I, I think you, I think you bring up good points there. I really do think that these three guys, you know, listen, I, I agree that Chase is, it would be the, the top pick in the, in a vacuum. I, I think I agree with you that Waddle is the most explosive weapon in the draft. And then I think Devonta Smith is, he, 
is very smooth in, in everything he does. And whether the frame hinders him, I think is to be determined. I think he is had enough success playing at that frame and he's nuanced enough that he's, he's going to be able to overcome that. Uh, and like you said, if he's asked to do certain things in those crosses and stuff, it, you like you mentioned, it's probably not going to matter. So I think schematically how he's asked to play, you would hope that he gets into an offense that the offensive coordinator, you know, sees his strengths and puts him in situations to succeed. We know that's not always the case, even though it sounds, it seems like a simple concept that it should be. And, and we know sometimes coaches don't do that. Uh, but Jalen Rager the last year. Exactly. And now this year, you know, is he going to get, you know, another receiver added to the mix there? Is he ever going to really get that opportunity? I, I'm not sure. And and I like Jalen Rager and, and, uh, and I was disappointed in terms of what they asked him to do last year and, and not put him in situations to be successful. And I, I'm still holding out hope that maybe he can get there. I don't know if Jalen Hurts is the quarterback maybe that can get him there, but uh, you know, I'm having a wait and see approach uh, and hoping that, uh, you know, we don't know definitively that, that he's their guy, a quarterback either for the long haul. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the light on for him and hoping that uh, we see the best of, of Jalen Rager moving forward. I think we will. Yeah. Next guy I want to bring up and, and I've, I've been on record here Saturday, Sunday saying, I don't think he's going to go round one anymore. I think it's a mistake. And the same way that people underestimated Keenan Allen and dropped him down after his combine or whatever it was back then. And the same way that people pushed Michael Thomas down into round two and now live to regret that. Rashad Bateman sure seems like he's getting lost in the in the shuffle here. He was a guy that you fast, you rewind this back to last August. It sure seemed like it was Jamar Chase, Bateman, then the Alabama guys. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the mix, the Alabama guys kind of in, in the public perception catapulted him. And Rashad Bateman, you know, took a slide. And now it sounds like other guys have maybe even jumped at over Bateman and not that they're not skillful and talented players. I liked Kadarius Tony's. I liked Terrace Marshall's, you know, I like a lot of these other guys, but it, it sounds like now there's a group of guys that might go ahead of this guy. And if, if, I, if Tutu Atwell goes ahead of him, my, my, my mind, my head is just going to explode. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Bateman? Do you see, do you think the, the, the public perception of him falling is warranted or are you more a fan of him? He's my number three receiver in this class. Okay. Um, so, so that answers that. Easily. So explain yeah. why. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. You know, when you look at him again, this is like the Trey Sermon thing. You know, first round players, early round players have to have every year where they're highly productive. That's, you know, that's a resume point type of thing. You know, draft capital to me, again, is not a function of talent, though in fantasy you can use it as a correlation to a degree, but understand that there are going to be more outliers than than making that a overall, you know, truism because it's more of an expression of risk management in the early rounds. Because, again, you know, I bring up this story often, but it's, you know, you if Gil Brandt, I got started doing this because Gil Brandt said, you know, if a, about this running back that I was really intrigued with. If this guy were two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, he'd be a top five player in this draft. And that was Brian Westbrook. Well, Brian Westbrook height and weight was a big issue because he didn't fit. He didn't fit the, the prototype for a first round pick at the wide receiver position. He didn't 
fit, he didn't have the school, even though he was got, got a scholarship at Florida State. He 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 tore his um, ACL in a basketball game, and so they rescinded the scholarship to Florida State, and he went to Villanova. Then he proceeded to like be a league, you know, like a lead leaguer, um, a league leader in yardage from scrimmage as a returner and receiver and runner, and then slipped on some black ice just walking somewhere at night, tore his ACL, tore another ACL. Um, and so when you look at, you know, Brian Westbrook, it was easy to understand. It's like, okay, I get it. This is what the NFL does. They're hiring guys in the first round. This is kind of, they, they want to have the bullet points because they want to cover their assets because really it's, if they fail with Brian Westbrook, fans and media and analysts are going to say, well, of course, you drafted an underweight, undersized, low-end school running back who had two ACL tiers. That was a dumb move to draft in the first round, even though you could have drafted this kid from Arkansas who had the had the height, the weight, the speed, the production at a big SEC school, even though he, he didn't he needed directions to the hole, you know, but you know, from a standpoint of you know, optics, which looks like the bigger mistake. You know, even if Darren McFadden failed, you know, and he didn't necessarily fail, but he didn't have the career worthy of a first round pick. Even if he failed, teams could say, well, look at all the things that we looked at. Look at what we considered. And people will understand that a little bit more. Whereas if Brian Westbrook failed, everybody would be like, why in the heck did you pick this guy in the first place? You know, because the film doesn't take, the talent didn't take as much precedence as the optics. And when you look at a player like Bateman, he's listed at, he was listed at 210. He probably didn't play at anything but around 200. And he had to work his way back up to 190 for his pro day this year because he got COVID. And because he got COVID and he had a really bad bout of it, really tough time, he wasn't even supposed to play this year. And then he decided to come back and play. He played in a in a in a new role where they used him more as a horizontal stretch than a vertical stretch guy. Um, he was underweight for his and probably still not where he needed to be, back to where he needed to be physically, so he wasn't comfortable. Um, and even then, you still see the ball tracking skills. You still see the ability to win the ball um, in tight spaces in the middle of the field. His balance to bounce off contact and his open field skills as a runner. And then you look at 2019 and you're like, amazing catch radius, terrific speed downfield, skill to win against tight man coverage. You know, he's very smart. He really understands in the last one second of a play where he's about to get the ball, how to adjust to things that aren't meant to be adjusted to. Like I had Fran Duffy and I watched some tape last week of receivers because I I guess he heard me on uh, Josh Norris's show. And he was like, you got some time to watch, like we were going to watch Amon Ross St. Brown. And so we started talking about other players. And one of the things I really liked about my, is the same play. He saw the same play is there's a, a, an out route where he, Bateman had a defender trailing him that he beat. And then he was breaking outside, but there was a cornerback dropping into that space from the flat and was in a great position to cut off the route because the quarterback didn't see it. And Bateman coming out of his break spotted the cornerback's position and what the cornerback was doing and changed the route to a hook, the break to a hook, and hooked back and cut off the the defender. 
And it wasn't the last, wasn't the only time that I've seen him make these types of last second plays. Um, whether it's, you know, catching the ball in a late window that's thrown with a lot of heat and it has to be like in front of him and he has to catch like extending downfield with a, with a safety coming downhill for him and coming towards his break path and be able to change, take one step and efficiently bend around that defender while having to reach into that defender's space, going at full speed through his break to make these types of plays. These are adjustments that the best NFL players make on the field. Things that aren't taught, they're integrated techniques. They're, they're, they're things that are taught disparately, but you're not saying, okay, in practice, we're going to run a dig route where you have to catch the ball, you know, two feet further downfield in front of you while a defender is heading for your chest and you break around that. And, you know, they don't practice that stuff. You have to have the awareness to be able to make these adjustments and do it so fluidly. He does that. So I think you're going to see him, and I have the same comparisons, Keenan Allen and, and Michael Thomas to him, except now if he's 190, 195, 200 and not going to be 210, 215, well, the player that comes to mind, CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb ain't bad either. So if you're going to, if I'm going to compare him to somewhere in a range of CeeDee Lamb, Michael Thomas, and Keenan Allen, in terms of he can work inside and outside, and he's a tough player in the middle of the field and can run after the catch, I'm happy. I, I think an NFL team will be too. Yeah. Everything you said about there, I think spot on. And he really is just a player who's so skillful in, in terms of so many different facets. And he doesn't get the the buzz that the Alabama guys or, or Jamar Chase, but he's a guy that, you know, in in a couple of years, when we look at this wide receiver class, and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of really good ones as as there's been each of the last few years. I think Bateman's going to be a guy that's right there in the mix as a guy who is having a really, really good NFL career, versatility in terms of how you want to use him. And it's interesting, all these weights, and we've talked about a couple today about they've came in different than what we expected, right? You mentioned it before with with Patterson. We could have mentioned it when we were talking about Javante Williams a little bit. You know, you mentioned it with Bateman. You just wonder, you know, it's impossible to know. Did all these guys just drop weight? to try to, you know, if they did, I don't even know if all these guys ran 40 times at their pro days. Uh, did they just all run, did this all drop weight for their pro days and their playing weight is much more of what we expected, right? It's it's that unknown factor that we don't really know, right? Because when you watch North Carolina, Javante Williams looked more like a 220 guy, right? When you watch Jared Patterson, he didn't look like he was a 190, 195 player. And same thing with Bateman. So it's interesting to kind of know, like it's impossible, right? To to We're going up with these measurements on the, on their pro days, but, you know, we used to usually have a couple different areas, right? We used to have combine or senior bowl for the seniors and then pro day, right? And, and you would sometimes see their weight fluctuate and move a little bit. Uh, but this year, it's such a, been such an unusual year. You wonder if some of these guys are just dropping weight for their pro day and then just going to get it, go right back to what their actual playing weight is. We'll never it's, know. But it, it's hard. I mean, let's play a little quick little game. How tall are you? I'm 5'9". Okay, I'm 5'11". I would guess that you're probably somewhere between at 5'9". I bet you're some, looking at you, I bet you're somewhere between 175 and 190. And that's a wide range, but I'd say probably about 180, 185. Yeah. Okay. How much do you think I am? 
at five eleven. Two ten. Yeah, I'm. That's I'm two twenty. So, but it's still you. It, we're off by like being off by ten pounds is a lot for a back. For us, we're like, oh, well, you're close because <laughs> you know you're in that range. But you know, and I'm probably more than that right now. I'm probably more like two twenty five. Um, but that's but that's the thing. It's like it's hard to guess people's weight, and then when you look at their jerseys, and numbers can make a difference. Like you see single digit number backs, <laughs> yes, and and you and like they look different. You know, it's jarring sometimes to see a back or a receiver in the NFL and they had a different, a very different number. That's like an oddball number for the NFL. And then you put them in the NFL with a traditional number and you're like, Holy cow, that guy's a lot bigger than I thought, or he's a lot smaller. He's a lot thinner than I imagine. And certainly some of it has to do with change of change of weight and things like that. But man, you, it, it all, it, it's, it's a tough gig, man. To, to be able to to figure that stuff out. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's end the wide receiver conversation uh, with this. I can't remember in all the years being a fan of the draft and doing Saturday to Sunday, there was ever a year with this many intriguing slot wide receivers coming in all shapes and sizes, right? You know, like you have the, the smaller guys who are really fast. You have the smaller guys, but the more compact frame, like think like the Amari Rogers types. And I feel like you can get them. If the projections that are out there are, are to be somewhat accurate, you're going to see some go round one. You're going to see some round two, round three. And then you're going to see, you know, somebody like Jalen Darden who really intrigues me somewhere on day three, you know, as, as another guy just maybe share some thoughts on the slot group collectively and then pick anyone that one or two guys that really intrigue you. doesn't have to be near the top of the draft, whatever it could be. Kadarius Tony, it could be Darden. It could be somewhere, somebody else, but a couple slot guys that really intrigue you and just the depth of the, and the uniqueness of this class collectively in terms of slot guys. Yeah, there's, it's fascinating because you're getting a, a lot of, sub specialist types within that slot role. And even within that, there's another tier or two below that, that people don't even think about because you could say Kadarius, Tony and Rondale Moore and Eli Moore, Elijah Moore and Jalen Darden are all the same type of small slot receiver. But if you said that, then is, is Wes Welker the same type of slot receiver as golden Tate, you know, and the answer is probably not. What if I told you that one of these receivers is like a combination of Jarvis Landry and Danny Woodhead, you know, and think about how these guys could be used. And so I I think it's a, it's a fun class. Um, There's some things where I think it, it, the athletic ability of guys like Rondale Moore are allowing people's imaginations to run wild with the idea that, he might be the most special talent of the wide receiver class in this draft because of his athletic ability. Um, but, and that, and that may happen, you know, but there are things that he'll have to prove. I mean, you know, so he has to prove that he can win contested balls, that he can be the next Steve Smith type of player. I don't think he's proven that. I think he's a, you know, you don't see evidence of him winning contested throws, you know, contested targets, you, you know, con- and, and I don't mean contested catches where someone's at his back and he's catching a route over his shoulder or, you know, and you know, he, he, he has a defender tight to his hip. I'm talking about taking hard hits and leaping over people 
and doing Steve Smith like things, you know, that give the quarterback confidence to make those types of throws. So the guy who intrigues me the most is probably Elijah Moore. Um, just because he's the one that reminds me of a mix of Jarvis Landry and Danny Woodhead with more speed. Um, he's just so automatic as a pass catcher, and I would love to see him. And he's so great in tight zones that you can really pinpoint, you know, the targets in ways in tight windows where he'd be great in the red zone with a veteran quarterback, where, you know, he can win routes against linebackers. He can make sliding catches. He can make diving plays. He may not be Steve Smith-like in the way that Lane Kiffin used that comparison because I think Kiffin's trying to trying to sell his program and as a recruiter trying to draw people in because the higher the draft pick, the more he can tell recruits, we, we've had this many first-round draft picks and we have the next, you know, and when I can talk about that I've got the next Steve Smith on my team, well, you know, parents and students and high school students are going to listen to that. You know, at least a lot of them will, even if they're not thinking on the level, you know, that evaluators are. So I could just see him in a role where he has a, gets a lot of catches, um, but he can also be a little bit, do, do a little bit of work out of the backfield. He's not as good of a runner as Woodhead ever was, but he he's functional. You know, he's functional on draw plays and you can create these matchup issues by using them in the backfield, moving him around in the red zone and really getting a lot of play out of that because he's not just, you know, like Nicole Hardman, the the Chiefs did that with, but you're not asking Nicole Hardman to win against tight zones and have these, you know, tight window targets and be that 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 go-to guy where you're going to have him winning these tight coverage plays. But Eli, Elijah Moore can do that. And, you know, like a Jarvis Landry, you can you can say, I'm going to him all the way on third down. Like, he's the guy I'm targeting no matter what. You know, you can do that with him or know that he really is your second or third read. He's not your, well, if he's wide open, I'm throwing him read in the second read. And then I'm glossing over him if I see a body near him because I don't trust him, you know, like Hardman. I think more is more that is that guy that, that, it may not be as fast as he – I don't think he plays as fast on the field as he looks or at least as he ran, um, you know, in workouts. But he's plenty athletic enough, and with what you're going to ask him to do, he could easily be an 80, 90, 100-catch player in the right um, system. Yeah, he's a guy that I think is probably going to go early, early uh, to mid-round two, and he's a guy that definitely – Instantly, you put him in an offense, he adds a, a versatile offensive weapon that, like you said, could be used in a variety of ways that can really add a different element to, to a passing game. So he's a guy that he was a slow and steady rise, I think, up from like before the season started. If, if people were putting out projections, I think most people probably had him as like a day three, early day three type slot receiver. And then he just kept seeing his, his stock in the public perception rise just as more people really dug in and realized just how skillful and talented of a player he is. And now I think you're going to hear kind of like what I said before, you know, you're going to hear his name ahead of guys that, you know, like you brought up Rondell Moore before, right? Rondell Moore has been a guy getting attention for years, right? He broke onto the scene, had an elite year. And like you said, there's a lot to like about Rondell Moore in terms of his explosiveness and, and stuff like that. But there is some projection, right? Purdue 
mostly manufactured a lot of touches for him, right? In terms of the jet screens, the quick slants, et cetera, et cetera. There, there isn't a lot on film in terms of really seeing how that route running translates. And like you said, the contested catches and they may have to use whoever drafts Ronda more may have to use him, you know, early in their career, like the 49ers use Debo Samuel or in some ways, you know, like we talked about, I think last year, like the Jaguars were maybe going to start that way with LaVisca Chenault and let him continue to refine his receiving skills where a guy like Elijah Moore has more refinement to his game. So I, I like that you mentioned a Jarvis Landry because most people are not picking that type of player when they, when they compare somebody to Elijah Moore, they're picking someone who maybe it's a little bit more athletic in terms of, you know, on paper athleticism, but in terms of the route running, the nuance, I like that comparison. I, th- I think it's interesting in terms of some areas that he wins. So one final question. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I can't not have you here at Saturday, Sunday. I've heard a little bit on a couple other shows, you talking about the quarterback position. So I, I want to let my listeners, if they didn't hear you on some of your other appearances that you've made, hear why you have some reservations and you look at Zach Wilson as a little bit more of a developmental prospect in terms of the quarterback position than being what sure sounds like the Jets are going to do and make him the clear number two pick in the NFL draft. What is it about his game that you think needs development before you can get aboard him, you know, being a guy that obviously the Jets are looking at and saying he's our franchise quarterback? Right. I think he's a good fit for New York in terms of just in theory, if you're going to match him to a scheme, I think he can do well in an outside zone scheme um, because it's going to give him more chances to be able to, you know, see targets working across field. And the, and the thing is, is that like Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins, it, that scheme gives you multiple windows of opportunities with these crossing routes off of play action. And it kind of puts some barriers up or training wheels up so that you're not asking the quarterback to do too much. And I think a lot of people see Zach Wilson as this dynamic carry it on his shoulders type of, you know, quarterback because they see the back shoulder throws and some of the, some of the scramble plays that he's made. Um, but the thing is, is that just like a Johnny Manziel or a Baker Mayfield or, you know, some of these or a Drew Locke who are guys who could do those types of things, they also have some shortcomings that get in the way of their ability to do it at a consistent level and get away with it when you project to the NFL. One of those things is that he's not very... He's not very accurate when it comes to intermediate to vertical throws. And I'm not talking about a stat service like PFF and how they track it. You know, I'm talking about when you watch it in context of, you know, what's general accuracy, which is catchable, but maybe not ideal. And then what's pinpoint, which is ideal, you know, based on the timing of the route, the direction of the break, the location of the defender. And when you look at um, Wilson, there's a lot of opposite field throws or throws to the boundary against off coverage where he just does not respect the off coverage. And he's placing the ball in, in, in areas where if a defender is one to two steps faster, 
or one to two steps earlier in recognizing the situation because he reads the route faster like most pros do. They know what route's coming, you know, or have a better idea of that or read the quarterback more effectively or understand how to get position or just strictly quicker and faster. He's Zach Wilson has gotten away with a lot of completions that would have been contested throws or interceptions. And it, and it happens repeatedly in his game. He just does not understand the placement of off coverage in these situations. And these are, these are the types of throws that move the chains and put defenses in binds that he's going to have to make, not just the, the highlight worthy back shoulder play or the deep post that he throws. Well, um, on top of that, the ball sinks with low with um, short throws and sails with deeper throws because he locks out the front leg, and that's a that's an issue mechanically with his game um, that is consistent with his play, and means he doesn't maximize the velocity and accuracy that he's capable of having as a thrower. Then you also have the pass placement in situations that just make no sense, like some of the hospital's balls that he's thrown in, into the middle of the field late in games where um, they're, they have a big lead and there's no reason to do this, you know? And it makes me wonder a little bit, you know, when a guy like um, Rick Saratella of NFL Draft Bible comes on my show and says, hey, listen, I interviewed a, I interviewed a ton of BYU prospects and just asked the, the, the innocent question, who and this was like, you know, while everyone was underclassmen or but well before the draft, if you got to the NFL, what pl- what teammate would you want to take with you and be on your team? And he asked like over 20 of them. And it doesn't mean that he, you know, it doesn't mean that Zach Wilson, because he wasn't mentioned by any of the 20 players as their choice, that doesn't mean that he's not that he's a bad teammate, but it is interesting that the most important position on your team and the most celebrated player on your team isn't mentioned by one of those 20 players as a guy that you would want to take with you to the league. Like to, to me, like, you know, I bet, I bet Jalen Waddle and um, Devonta Smith would say they would want to take um, Mac Jones with them. I would bet I would, you know, now maybe not, maybe Zach Wilson just turned out to be the second player that came to their mind, all 20 of those players minds. <laughs> each of those times. But the fact that no one mentioned it is interesting. And I wonder if that's tied a little bit to some of his play, you know, that some of his play isn't all that, you know, it's good, but it's not great. I have him on a, on the lower end tier of a guy who should develop into a starter with the right team around him and enough patience. Um, But he's a guy that, and with this system, you can kind of give him those training wheels and work out where he could give you pro bowl caliber numbers, on a good team, just like Baker Mayfield is probably capable of doing that. I compared Baker Mayfield to Pro Bowl caliber Jeff Garcia, not Russell Wilson, not Brett Favre, not Drew Brees, you know, and people were disappointed by that. But if you look at them now, they might make the Super Bowl, but I don't think anybody's comparing him to any of those players right now. We'll see if he gets to that point in the next year or two. But, you know, this this offense helped him out. And I think that with Zach Wilson, that's part of the issue. And then on top of that, he misses a lot of reads that are wide open reads and goes for the tougher plays where he's not reading the field as well as you would like to see him read. 
So there's promise to read the full field. There's promise with his play action game. I like his ability to, to move. There's some good skills with him in the pocket. Um, there are some skill. He's a little up and down with his pocket play. Um, but the mechanical issues and the way he looks at leverage and the way that he should respond to leverage, I have some questions about. So I think he can get there, but I wouldn't want him as my second overall pick. You know, especially when you could get four other, four to five other player, four players who are going to go in the first round, most likely, and then a fifth that I think you might go in the third or fourth round, who I think might have as much promise down the line if you were patient with them. And I think you're going to, I think Zach Wilson's not going to be have, not going to have be afforded the patience that he should be afforded, and most quarterbacks will be. And hopefully, Makai Becton has a cloning machine. That's about all, you know, and, and that these receivers get a little better. And if they do, maybe they can take that next step. I think you'll have a good start to the year because a lot of guys who can throw on the move and create, you generally do. But I think by week six, week eight, if he's playing the first four to five weeks of the year, week six to week eight, you're going to see a, a learning curve for him where he's going to really have to adjust. If you were running the Jets, would you have held firm with Sam Darnold or would you have traded him like they did and then pivoted to a different quarterback in this draft? Well, I think that I probably would have held with Sam Darnold um, and given it one more year, knowing that he wasn't my guy. So if I, I'm buying myself essentially a year to see if he can he can get there, but it depends on how broken they think he was. You know, if they think he was emotionally broken, then maybe it was time to move on. But if they don't, they don't know. They just know that he wasn't successful and they didn't want to have the optics of keeping him. And who knows how, if they're ever going to be this high in the coming years again, that's how a lot of NFL teams think that, you know, but again, you know, the chiefs weren't that high and they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, to me, sometimes you just have to understand your talent board and and realize that, all right, we're going to have to trade up to get what we want, but it's going to be worth it. And I think that for the Jets, I would have done that and built, I would have built the line first. I'm a big build the line, build the trenches, get that line ready, get those receivers in a good, good position, and then get your quarterback, whether it's through the draft or free agency, you know, be Get your Matthew Stafford instead of, you know, you know, rather than drafting a young guy. If your line's ready and already ready to go, you know, something like that, I would have preferred. But that's me. Yeah, listen, it's a really interesting question. You you can make the strong argument that the Jets never really gave Sam Darnold the supporting cast that that gave us a opportunity to truly know if he could transition, right? And be a, a successful NFL quarterback. We'll see how long he gets in Carolina. Is it a one year thing? And then if he doesn't succeed, they immediately look to upgrade next year in the NFL draft. Does he get a couple years? You know, and there's, and there's a lot of teams now. Like, you know, I know as someone who follows the Giants closely, right? Like this is a big year for Daniel Jones. And I mentioned before, like I'm hoping it's Jalen Waddle, right? And, and finally now 
we could say he, they invested a top five pick last year in a tackle and they got another one in round three and, you know, guard in round two. And, you know, they, they made moves there and they signed Kenny Galladay, right? At least the giants right now are, I think trying to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to surround Daniel Jones with whatever we think he needs to get a good read on him. And you wonder if the jets really ever did that to besides last year, Mekhi Becton, obviously he was a stud, but that was one year of it, right? It was his rookie year. One guy's not going to magically make the O-line better. And they never really gave him legitimate playmakers. When you look around the league and see what some guys are working with and some young players are working with, they had, you know, they had a nice slot receiver and Jameson Crowder and, you know, but so it, it's one of those things that it's going to be interesting to see how Darnold does in Carolina and if he has a lot of success there and Zach Wilson has some of the struggles that you think he may have, it's going to be something that in New York, it's going to, it's going to be really rough uh, yeah. uh, for, for the Jets if Sam Darnold's being successful in Carolina and, you know, Zach Wilson is having growing pains, which he probably inevitably will. The Jets aren't, aren't a really good team yet. So there's going to be team struggles and then there's probably going to be individual struggles like most young quarterbacks have some struggles. Yeah naturally uh and especially ones you know who maybe had more pristine situations than than some guys have at the collegiate level so matt always an absolute pleasure i mean an hour and a half in the books and we we could have talked for probably 10 more hours because there's so many more guys that i would have i would have loved to talk about but we'll obviously have you back post draft uh we'll have some landing spots but always appreciate you coming on the air and just just digesting and, and breaking down these prospects from from a perspective, a film perspective, from your process approach. Uh, you know, just really sticking to who these guys are and not really digging in anywhere into the, the fancy landscape. I always appreciate uh, your process and your approach. So thank you as always. Please let the audience. I'm sure most of them are following you. Look, read your work, but please let them know if not where they can find you where they can purchase the RSP, uh, everything else you got going on. Sure. You can find the RSP at mountwaldmanrsp.com. And if you have been on the fence of getting it, because I get emails every year from people who are like, long time football guy subscriber, long time listening to your podcast or listening to you on other shows. And I finally bought the RSP and I'm just shocked and wished I had done this five years ago. Um, it's, it's honestly one of the top two to three types of emails that I get. When it comes to you know to the RSP, is that I say pleasantly shocking readers since 2006 because I I can't I can't oversell it. I mean I I I mean uh, to be honest, I just can't. I don't feel like I do a good job of it. People people tend to tell me that in email every year. So you get the pre-draft and post-draft with it. You're going to be on a newsletter. It's for 21.95. I'm also doing some dynasty rankings this year. Complete dynasty rankings, meaning. Every eligible player who I think is going to get a shot to be able to play, um, doing a two-year out projection outlook um, with them in terms of stats, as well as dynasty rankings that will be updated, updated multiple times a year beginning in June. That's available for $24.95. The, the publications do not come with that. Um, so if you want the rankings, $24.95. Um, if you want the books that just show rookie rankings and just show – Pre-draft is more my long-term outlook, you know, and then the post-draft is my one to three-year outlook. Those are available for twenty-one ninety-five, um, and you know that's where you can 
that's where you can find us, mattwaldmanrsp.com. Appreciate you guys listening. And, you know, Paul, thanks again. Guys, it, it, I'll, I'll just echo right there what Matt was talking about. If you are on the fence, just purchase it. I remember the first year I purchased it. This was before Saturday, Sunday was even around. I remember hassling Matt, asking him what this means, what this means. There were so many things. I would, the amount of depth that, that is in this uh, publication, you will be blown away with. The amount of times you will go back to it, either during a football game or the following year or the following off season when a guy that you've never heard of is getting an opportunity to play. It, it is something that has longstanding value. I know it's one of my top things to uh, buy every single Thank year. You. It's one of the best things out there. So please get over there. Support Matt and make sure you are purchasing that. Uh, and I think you will be amazed at the level of depth uh, that he goes into on so many of these offensive skill players. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.